Welcome to the Web of Tomorrow. I'm your host, Riley Carrasquillo, and today I'm going to be interviewing Dave Smith, the Engineering Director of HireVue. So first I'm going to let Dave Smith give a little bit of an introduction about himself, some of the things that he's doing right now, and, and uh, some of his passion projects. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm, I'm Dave. Uh, I've been working at HireVue for, just had my fourth anniversary this year. Oh wow. So four years. And um, what is a passion project? I'll tell you if I have one. You tell me what it is, I'll tell you if I have one. <laughs> um, well, I kind of consider this a passion project. Okay, podcast. This podcast, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, passion projects, uh, I, um, uh, you may have, I mean, one of the things that I do for fun is I uh, built my own sprinkler system that I, uh, with you know, just cobbled together like hardware from various places online. And you can actually hear about that at a talk I gave last August at a conference called React Rally, where I basically demoed the the system and did a little you know a little live demo, which is actually pretty crazy, at a conference and um, talked about the setup and I used React to build it and uh, talked oh. about talked about you know the various pieces of software I used. Um, so anyway, that's one of my passions is probably tinkering with with uh, electronics and little projects on the side like that. So you're not uh, a lightweight engineer. You're like, you, you get deep into there. You... So is that a fat joke, first of all? <laughs> well, if, any, if, if you look up Dave Smith on the internet and his LinkedIn, do you have a LinkedIn? Yeah. Um, Good luck s- finding me, though. I'm really hard to find because my name is so generic. <laughs> that's, that's actually true compared to like Riley Carrasquillo. But yeah. uh, if you did see him, you'd, you'd know that he's... Uh, he actually is lightweight in his physicality. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Unlike not me, a fat joke. Okay, got so it. It's not a fat joke. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about you have. Uh, you're in charge, or you co-created, co-worked on JavaScript Jabber. So JavaScript Jabber as a podcast is actually several. I think it's four years old now, and yeah. I've only been on it for the last year and a half or so. Okay. So it's a po- it's a weekly podcast about the JavaScript ecosystem. We have guests on every week who are like actually really interesting people. Um, the creators of Node, the creators of React, Angular, all the common big web frameworks you've heard of, they've all been on the show. Uh, the creator of Webpack, um, the creator of a new programming language called Elm, which is a compiled to JavaScript language. Um, we've had all these people on the show. I'm just a humble panelist. So there's usually three or four panelists and we spend about 1% of the time talking and 99% of the time listening and being amazed by really cool guests from the JavaScript ecosystem. So that's pretty sweet. So uh, for those of you who don't um, understand what Dave was saying, basically he's the expert version of what Adam and I are trying to do. Oh. <laughs> he's about, yeah, three years ahead of what we're, <laughs> we're trying to accomplish. But uh, so it's really great to have him on. That's kind of how we feel about you coming on here. Unfortunately, Adam couldn't be here oh, today. Yeah. When I, I asked you to do this podcast and I asked you to do the, the hero's journey, you're like, mm-hmm. well, does that disqualify me then? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the whole idea is uh, the hero of your own story, which okay. we are super interested to hear. Um, now, just to dial back a little bit, was that why you were at... What, what you were doing at NG Conference was JavaScript, J- JavaScript Jabber? Or was uh, we, it... Well, so yes and no. We did actually record an episode live on stage at NGConf, which was great. We had the founder of RethinkDB named Mike Lukowski on the show. That episode will be coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, they have a new project called Horizon that they were talking about, which is, looks to be pretty cool. Um, and so we did record an episode. But no, I was actually at NGConf primarily uh, participating as an interviewer. 
I was interviewing all the speakers, and we have a live stream, which you can catch on YouTube now. Um, it was called the NG Newsroom. Oh, so, so you were actually working in capacity for the conference. Yeah, so specifically. I was, yeah, exactly. So oh, cool. it was actually really fun. So NG Conference happens how, how often? It's every year. This was the third year. Third year. And uh, so that's something really great if you are working with Angular and uh, want to get into uh, learning a little bit more about all the professionals and all the awesome people working there. Um, yeah. Where is that located? The conference? Yeah. It's been three out of three years in Salt Lake City. Oh, so there's, this is another one. There's, there's other NG conferences. No. Well, okay. So there's NG Conf, which is like the main biggest Angular community conference in the world. There was NG Vegas last year, which was a similar conference, but in Las Vegas. There's right. NGNL, which is, they've done two years running now in February uh, in Amsterdam. And there's Angular Connect, which is the... Uh, a, Europe, a European community Angular conference. They're on their second year in London. It'll be this September is their second oh, wow. year. And then finally, there's NG Europe, which had their first conference in Paris in October of 2014, and they're coming back this year, um, I think also in October, in Paris again. Crazy. So those are all the Angular conferences I know of. <laughs> Dang. So how, what kind of particip uh, participation do you get? Uh, at NGConf this year, they had over 1,400 attendees. Wow, that's awesome. Which, uh, to my knowledge, is the biggest like community conference participation count. I mean, other conferences will have more, like Google I.O. will have more people than that. Right. Um, Angular Connect is going to be around 1,000 people this year. Um, NG Europe, back in 2014, had about that number, had about 800, 900 people. So, and it's amazing. Like, NGConf sold out their first year, like within a few minutes of listing the tickets. Really? Yeah, and then the second year they did the same. So this year they did a lottery, but every lottery wave sold out, you know, within a, also within a few minutes. So it's, it's incredibly popular. People love the content, and they love the community, as do I. I think the Angular community is awesome. That's super cool, and that's big things. You're working on big things. Um, and this just goes to show how much more research I should probably do before I do interviews, because I was actually thinking of the, the Vegas NG Vegas. Uh, yeah, NG Vegas. So that's, um, that's really awesome that we have something local yeah. uh, that, that you guys can go to and, and attend if you can uh, make it out there. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you do here at HireVue. So here at HireVue, my job, I'm responsible for the uh, engineering and QA efforts of the uh, HireVue team. So we have about 30 developers who work on our web-based application as well as we have uh, mobile apps, both Android and iOS. Um, we have all kinds of integrations with other companies, and uh, I'm ultimately responsible for all those. The team does all the work. I just sit around and admire how awesome they are. And then we have about a dozen QA people who help keep us all honest and make sure that we don't have bugs, and um, I'm also responsible for their work as well. But again, the team at HireVue deserves all the credit. I have just been lucky enough to be able to participate with them and um, so at the end of the day, I just basically sit around sipping lemonade and uh, watching the team work. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and this is, a, this is a really great team. I work at HireVue, so I may be a little bit biased, um, <laughs> but the things that they're doing over here are pretty, pretty darn cool. Yeah, I'm really proud of them. Yeah, they do some really awesome stuff. Um, so one last thing I will mention, because we have it just recently in common, is that you're really into uh, cycling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're a big uh, cycling buff. Well, <laughs> I'm not very good at it, but I ride a lot of miles on my road bike every year. Do you ride to, to work? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and back. Well, yeah. Well, it's, I only live five miles away, so it's not really a big deal. I know. I I only live uh, two and a half miles away, and so when I told my wife, she's like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" Which just kind of speaks volumes of how she sees me physically and athletically. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's go into this this hero's journey story. This is the thing that. Adam and I personally, so we think that our viewers like it, uh, our listeners mm-hmm. like it a lot, but uh, we just personally love it hearing okay. about your guys' uh, story, people like you. So let's start off with how did you, like, why did you decide you wanted to do this? Well, how far back does it go? It goes pretty far back. Do you want kind of the long version with all the details? Yeah, let's okay. go. Like, does it start in your childhood? Does it start in no. college? Or where does it start? Well, um, I think it starts in high school for me. Okay. So um, probably many of your American listeners had to take some kind of calculus or pre-calculus class, right? You probably did yourself. I did, yeah. And when you did that, you probably had to buy a graphing calculator. Mm-hmm. Did you have to buy one of those? Yep. Was it like a TI graphing? Yeah, it was like a yeah, Tex- Texas Instruments yeah, exactly. 83, TI 83 or something yeah. like that. So in my high school, we had the same requirement. And for whatever reason, I decided to buy the TI-82. And the TI-82 was a graphing calculator, so you could punch in equations and it would graph them. But it also had the ability to write little programs. Yeah. You remember this? Yeah, I had friends that programmed uh, like little games yeah, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't really get that at first. But some of my friends were showing me that they could actually like write little commands using this really awful keyboard to key in things like draw a circle, you know, open paren, like number, comma, number, comma, number, and it would like put a circle on the screen. I was like, well, that's kind of cute. Like I can draw a circle. <laughs> um, and so I did that a little bit. And then all the real cool kids in my school had TI-85s. And so they could all share their programs with each other. Because oh. um, you could like plug them in with like a headphone jack. And yeah, they could actually exchange programs and be like, I wrote this program now, try it out. It's basically open source in the 90s, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... That same year, I took a physics class, and in the physics class, one of the things we studied was the, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the equation, but it's the equation that governs the free fall of something to Earth. This is, this is actually a polynomial, so it's actually like, um, it's got like three terms, x squared plus x, okay. you know, plus a constant gravitation, uh, anyway, it's like 9.8 meters per second squared is like the gravitational constant, right? And so, at some point during the school year, it occurred to me that I could make a line, like a dot, draw on the screen and fall as if it were falling to Earth by just plugging in that equation into a little program and then just like iterating through the frames and like drawing a point and let it fall, right? Oh, cool. I'm like, like, you know, start it up at this point and let it fall. And then I realized like I can make this a little game where I say, okay, I'm going to put a randomly placed target on the ground and then I'm going to have like a little airplane that's coming across at a certain velocity at a certain altitude and then you have to like pick when to drop the bomb and it'll fall um, at both you know, moving horizontally and also falling and accelerating to the earth like an object would fall to the right. earth in a vacuum with no air friction. Right? <laughs> right. And, and like that was like super fun for me. And so I would make it, it was, it was like the lamest game ever. Like you would type in a velocity and an altitude and then it would fly and drop the bomb and you would see if you could hit the target, right? Like crazy. So that was basically the first time I ever programmed anything. And I was stared at that stupid TI-82 screen for hours and there was no Google to like say like what how do I do this right? It was just right. like try something, see it fail, try again, see it fail, over and over and over. Ask a friend, maybe, um, and and so that's what I did. 
So I spent a year in high school just like programming that dumb little TI calculator. And some of my friends who I had just major hero worship for made really involved games on their, on their calculators that were like crazy sophisticated. Um, a little shout out to my friend Clint who made a game called Pongvert Races where you could have like, you would like build a car with like, you'd like pick the wheels, pick the motor, and you could like pay money to upgrade the motor. Not real money, you know, like in-game money. Right, yeah. And then you'd race other cars and they could race each other using the little like connector cable. Anyway, those, I always thought those guys are the heroes. Like those guys are the amazing programmers. I just never thought that I could be like a great programmer like those guys could. But that's basically how I got my start. That's really interesting that you're saying that though. Like... We, we literally just did uh, an episode about the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and how um, how kind of rampant it is among yeah. developers and programmers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, admittedly, yeah. Both, like, to me, what you did is, is amazingly cool because I didn't even think about that in high school. You know what I thought about was uh, acting mm-hmm. and theater. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought my other friends were the ones that were the developers sure. and the smart people. Yeah. I mean, we don't even go that far as calling them developers. I would just call them the smart computer people. Sure. They knew how to do computer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of cool. That, like, that's really interesting to hear that you, like, even at that age, you're already doing something that almost no one else was doing probably in your school other than your group of friends. Yeah, those nerdy guys who I, who I worshipped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which actually, first off, is really cool because um, that whole idea of connecting um, something like to play each other mm-hmm. in the 90s. <laughs> Um, is really cool because like when did like the Pokemon then you could actually play Pokemon I think that was, wasn't until like the early 2000s yeah. that you could do that and that it was, was like, after the my first, time that was after your time yeah I, didn't, I never no did Pokemon, Pokemon. No, I just and, missed it by a couple years yeah just because I was that was like that was the pervading yeah. uh, game of my my childhood that and Power Rangers and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I miss that. I was just old enough to make fun of people who liked Power Rangers <laughs> as a kid because I, I was just like on the, you know, I'm the cool teenager mode when they were coming on the scene, yeah. you know? So you so. got to actually enjoy the 80s, though, a little well, bit. Yeah, yeah. Which I, is super cool. I, I lived through all of the 80s. I, ah. wasn't, I was probably only mm, cognizant of it for the latter half of the 80s, but yeah, I wore the peg pant. Like, I, <laughs> as long as we're talking about the 80s. <laughs> Young people wear their pants, you know, the bottom of their pants, how they cuff them a little bit and, like, peg yeah. them. We did that as, like, six- and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds in the 80s. So that's, like, totally So that's where weird. it started. I don't know. I mean, it, it went out of fashion, but now it's back, and, which that's is kind of That's really funny. Weird. Actually, yeah, I've never even thought about, I guess, 80s fashion. And, uh, I mean, you well, I've thought about 80s fashion, but not that specific thing. <laughs> you think about, like, the jackets and... The hair oh, yeah. and everything yeah. like Not that. The, peg, the pegged pants. All the Breakfast Club stuff, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, that's that's super awesome. I am super envious of you because I always like it, when people ask me like what era would would have liked to live in, it would have been the eighties. I would have loved <laughs> to experience like all the eighties movies <laughs> as they came out in theater. Yeah, you didn't miss out on that much. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so how did that continue? Like, how did that develop into well, like something that's like career worthy or so even like career aspirations? Let, I, at the time, I just never thought that it would have anything to do with a career. There's no way that just wasn't even on my mind. And talking about imposter syndrome, I never had imposter syndrome. I've never had it. I've just I don't know for whatever reason, it's just not something that I've been stricken with, and and that's good. Well, yeah, which has been good. Um, but I think it was not so much because I was good at anything. It was because I just, 
like for me getting into programming, it was just fun. Like I was like, oh, this is cool. And if it, if I'm not good at it, like I didn't care. Like yeah. I didn't really have anything that I was really, that was like, that I was like on the line for with, right. with it. And so I think when, when you're in a situation where you're like faking it till you make it, you know, you feel the imposter syndrome, you feel that like weight. Um, I think it's because there's a lot tied up in that. Like you have this identity that is, is vulnerable and threatened by not being good at this thing. And you really want to be part of that. But you got to remember, like when I grew up, I kept it a secret that I wrote these little programs on my calculator because like, it wasn't cool to do that. And like, it, there were a lot of people in my school that would have made fun of me and really picked on me if they had known oh, really? that, I, that I spent hours doing that. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So uh, you don't feel, would you, you don't feel like it's like that now. Do you? Well, or? I think that the world has changed a lot and we've yeah. gotten to the point where we worship people like Bill Gates and Mark. Uh, yeah. What's his name? Zuckerberg. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg. You know, like these guys are heroes in our worlds. Right. But when I was a kid, those figures didn't exist. Right? Like true. no one had ever heard of Bill Gates in the early nineties. I mean, I knew who he was actually. I don't even think I knew who he was in the nineties. Um, and so, yeah, like it was really not cool to do that. And so if anything, I was an imposter in very different ways. Like I was trying to be the popular cool kid and, you know, hang out with all the cool kids and do those cool things. And the last thing I would want them to know is that I programmed on my calculator. Hmm. So That's... things have changed a lot. And, and now, and I am actually really happy to have, because I think it's a shame. And there's probably a lot of people my age who could have gone into programming or become developers but who were scared off because of the stigma of being nerdy or, you know, kind of a social outcast. Whoa, this is like, this is very different than the conversations we've had because obviously Adam and I are close. We're almost exactly the same age. Mm-hmm. And so we had, haven't ever come from this. Yeah. You know, we, uh, Adam started in high school as well. He, but he was very open about it. He didn't, it was yeah. right when like, it was kind of like that grid system for JavaScript, you know, okay. where you can just like, you had to like use, I guess, Photoshop to break apart your yeah. images so you could place them in and sure. make it a cool looking whatever. Um, I used to, I remember in middle school, I used to make websites with uh, Microsoft Office mm-hmm. uh, and like... Yeah, yeah, I did that. Like with, yeah. Mm-hmm. With some of that stuff. And, yep. and everyone thought that was cool. In fact, I remember all my friends were hoping that like they would let us do more of that. Mm-hmm. And then they obviously moved on to like other things. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then I never touched it again. I remember in fact, uh, and this is actually still a website that I've found recently, but I used to use flamingtext.com all the time <laughs> to get my cool like... Yep. Did it, did it render a Java applet or was it an animated GIF that it would make? It was an animated GIF. Okay. Yeah, we had those in the late 90s, but they were usually Java applets. And so like you would type in text and it would like put it on the inside the applet and make like a yeah. ripple effect or a flaming effect. Right, yeah, I exactly. That. And uh, I didn't understand anything. Yeah, you're about, just poking like, around at it. Oh, yeah, I was just like, yeah, I was just trying to do whatever well, I could to make my website look And that's cool. how I was too. I mean, when I first started, when I made my first website, I think I used Microsoft Publisher. I think. I'm trying to remember. It could have been Microsoft Word, like save as HTML. And I got to tell you, like by the time I went to college, which was in the late 90s, 1997, um, I never again in the rest of my life have I ever felt embarrassed about being a, quote, computer nerd. Like it, that, those feelings were just gone. And it was basically like I, I think I grew out of, you know, wanting people to see me a certain way. And I think also our culture has grown up a little bit. And they've yeah. realized that um, there's actually a lot of value in being the computer nerd. And so, you know, whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, it doesn't matter. Like, I think there's some value. I don't know if some of that lingers, some of that negative connotation, but 
But I pretty much shed that when I went to college. And thank goodness, too, because what a crappy way to live, right? So I, it was at the point that I went to college that my journey almost went off the rails because I told myself I could never sit in front of a computer all day for a job. Hmm. And so I did not enroll in computer science like some of my friends did. Oh, really? What'd no. you do? I enrolled in mechanical engineering, and I hated it. <laughs> like, I thought that I would love mechanical engineering because I liked playing with Legos, right? Yeah. Like, I like building stuff. But it turns out Legos are a lot more like computer programming than mechanical engineering. Um, well, that's really interesting. Yeah, so mechanical engineering is a lot, it's about all kinds of, you know, more hard sciences, statics, um, uh, you know, materials science and things like that. And that stuff just wasn't interesting to me at all, you know? And so I did a year of mechanical engineering, and after a year I was just like, I hate this. Like, I really don't like it. It was at this point that I decided to serve a church mission. And I spent two years away from the entire college world. But while I was out on my mission, I um, got assigned to work on uh, a computer thing. It was basically like collecting statistics and um, information about how the mission was going. And I stumbled across some Visual Basic code while I was doing this that someone else had written. And I, it came up on the screen. I, I still remember the first time I saw it. And it was all syntax colored. And so, like, this is the first time in my life that I've ever seen code fill a whole computer screen and be all these different colors. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I just, I, cl I remember I closed the window right away. I'm like, I should not be here. It's like I had, <laughs> it's like, I had like, stumbled into a room I wasn't allowed to be in. Yeah. Right? And I just, I'm like, I closed that window right away. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to break anything. I'm going to get out of this thing, right? So, so it's kind of accidental. That yeah, you yeah. I, I think I clicked some button and it was like, it like opened up the code that was behind this. It was a Microsoft Access database. And I saw the code and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> close that. So I, uh, I closed it. And then over the course of the next few months, I gradually got back into that idea a little bit and ended up writing a bunch of Visual Basic code while I was there to manage our, like, generate reports and, um, you know, just like, it was all these interesting mission statistics, you know. And uh, I remember we didn't have internet connection, but I would print the Microsoft Access, like, documentation from their help guide and I would take it with me in taxi rides and stuff, and I would just be reading page after page of, <laughs> of Microsoft Visual Basic, Microsoft Access documentation. And um, it was crazy. So that's basically how I learned the very, very beginnings of programming was from that. That's, that's incredibly interesting. Isn't because, it weird? <laughs> yeah, like in, in your church mission, that's where yeah. <laughs> you start actually like playing around with that stuff. So I came back, and I, and I told myself that I would take that time to like decide what I wanted to do for my major at college. And when I came back, I realized I hadn't really deliberately spent any time thinking about it. And so I, and I don't actually know what happened, but at some point I was looking through, what do you call like the course selection guide for college? I'm just like reading through all these different majors and the classes and yeah. I stumbled across computer science and I looked at all these subjects, like the names of the courses and I was like, these sound awesome. You know, it was like machine learning, um, data structures, databases, networking. And I'm like, whoa, this is, Super cool. So I just like, I'm like, this is it. I'm doing it. So I enrolled in computer science that year and I just got on fire. I mean, I took way more than the, uh, the uh, recommended course load and I finished my computer science degree in three years after having oh, used wow. a year in mechanical engineering. I, I started um, on year two and I finished um, by the end of year four. You know, it's like, I just, I just boogied through that thing. There was one semester where I took four computer science, and they were like, look, you should never take more than three, and probably only two. And I'm like, okay, how about four? You know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was just love. From that point, it was just, I was just in love. And um, I did great in those courses because it was like, you, you know, when you really love something, 
it's not work, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. hard. It's not arduous. I would spend hours and hours in the computer labs working on projects, and I just loved it. Didn't feel like work anymore. We were talking about how if you love the end result, mm-hmm. or if there's like a majority of that process, like when I was learning the very beginning basics of JavaScript, and you know, they, typically when they when you're like learning the stuff, they'll take you through and make you have you make a, a game okay. or something. Yeah, yeah, something you know, to keep like, you interested. Yeah, some kind of like toy problem or or a game or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was making this game, and I remember I was just so frustrated because I was doing like I just kept making mistakes and I'm mm-hmm. I'm like that like it wasn't the best at like attention to detail stuff sometimes okay but like it was just so fun it was like a game it was like mm-hmm. okay there is a challenge here and I remember and this is kind of where our experiences differ probably quite a bit but I have obviously a lot of like stack overflow and yeah yeah like yeah. internet information to help <laughs> me and I remember going through and I got to this point where like I just couldn't find the answer Mm-hmm. to my problem. Like, I actually had to figure out the answer. Like, you couldn't find it on Stack Overflow, you mean? Yeah, I couldn't find it on Stack Overflow. I couldn't find it on Google, sure. like, on a forum or so anything. you had to actually, like, bear down and figure I it. actually had to figure it out on my own. And I remember thinking, crap. <laughs> like, I'm not going to enjoy this. And that was actually probably the most enjoyable part of the whole process to me, was, like, when I figured it out, I, I remember I stood up and put my hands in the air. Yeah. And my wife walked out and yeah. she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, That's the best. I just figured out this thing. And um, I know what goes into it now. And it's actually really fun. What is the language that you mostly work in now? Today, I mostly work in Python and JavaScript. What kind of got you... Were you doing that before HireVue? Or? No, not really. Um, the reason I came to HireVue was actually to be able to completely reboot and try a completely different set of tools and skills. Um, prior to HireVue, I was writing, 90% of my time I was writing C++. Oh, okay. Um, prior to that, I wrote a bunch of Java code back in the day. And, um, and like, I just like starting over on something totally new. Interesting. Occasionally, and so that's why I came to HireVue four years ago. You like the, the learning experience. Yeah, like if I'm not learning and being challenged, I get bored yeah. really quick, so... Are you getting bored right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> Am I challenging not, not you Not even a little bit. So one of the things I wanted to mention was something that it took me a lot of years to realize was actually happening in my life was the role that privilege played in me coming into this profession. Like when you were, when we we were just talking about this, like when you look back at what I said, you know, someone gave me a TI-82 calculator and then I had time given to me to be able to play with this thing. And then later, you know, I, while while I was serving a church mission, someone put me in this place to where I could do this and be on this computer and have access to, no pun intended, to Microsoft Access, you know, like, um, and then later going to college and having that opportunity, like, these are opportunities that not everyone in the world is just automatically given, you know, and and I certainly didn't work to earn these things. Um, Now, I did did good things with them once I had them. It's not like I squandered these opportunities, Um, but I just think it's, it's important to acknowledge the role that privilege can play in someone's life like this, and especially in mine. So I think that's an important thing to consider, you know, like um, not everybody is is given that. And I hear this time and again from people that I admire in the industry. Almost all of them say something like, well, as a kid, my mom bought me this this cool computer that I was able to get started on, you know? And it's like, well, what would have happened if you hadn't been just given that opportunity? You know, what would have happened? And it's like, well, who knows, right? Yeah, it's... uh it's almost philosophical to think about. I don't know. What, so what kind of statement are you saying? Like, it, it, Do you think that it's easier for people to be programmers if they have privilege? 
Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Do you think that people um, who have no privilege will become good programmers? Look, I think everybody in the world can become good at being a developer. Now, not everyone wants to, and that's fine. But is it a leg up if someone plunks a computer down in your hands and then gives you time and you don't have to work like two jobs when you're in high school to make ends meet? Yeah, of course that's a leg up. That's a huge leg up. Yeah. Um, now, can you make, could you do it without being handed that? I, you know, probably. But will it be harder? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and I think it's important that, that people like me who have been given a lot acknowledge that and own that and, and not just say like, well, you know, I just worked really hard. And that's why I have all this awesome stuff in my life. And that's why I've been able to become a developer. Like, no, like that's, that's definitely part of it. But there's a big foundation there that um, I didn't earn and yeah. that I didn't work for that was just given to me. And that's, you know, I'm grateful for it. Um, but it's, I think it's important to acknowledge that. I think anyone that really wants to and, and to be a programmer can be. Mm-hmm. I also say that you might want to take a step back and actually see if you really do want to. Like, if you want to. I think that's probably one of the most important factors. It's like, do you actually really want to do this? And if you don't, like, that's cool. That's fine. Find out what it is you do want to do. And do that instead. You'll probably be happier and more successful. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because it's not easy. It's not an easy path. This kind of goes into this. What is your advice to teenagers, to people in college that are thinking about going this route? I, I guess I'm especially interested about advice towards teenagers because sometimes they're thinking about this way before mm-hmm. they'll actually be able to do it. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, never, I believe, never in the history of humanity has there ever been a profession that is so accessible and yet so lucrative and rewarding as is software development. Mm-hmm. And the, the avenues that you can take to get there are really numerous. Like it, Maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was like, well, you, there's one track. You go to college, you get a computer science degree, and then you get a job, right? But today, there's like a thousand tracks, and the computer science college degree is like one of a thousand different ways to get into this profession. On my team right now, I have had two English majors. I've had two kids who are te- literally teenagers. One of them was so young that his mother had to sign... His, had to like co-sign his employment agreement and, and just every other different discipline and avenue you can think of that have come to this profession and they've all been great contributors. So the fact is, I mean, you can teach yourself these days. You can uh, take a class like a boot camp. You can go to college or you can do any other number of things to get into this profession, all of which um, were pretty much closed doors 15 years ago, you know? And part of that is because of the internet has enabled this, but part of it is also because programming is, the barrier to entry is coming down. Like, it used to be you had to be pretty serious to understand what the heck a pointer was in C. Like, like you had to, like, really understand the system and how memory management works and, like, all this stuff. Yeah. But now, like, I can open up my developer console in, in my browser that I use every day, and I can just start typing code right there. Like, I literally use my browser every day, and I think most people listening to this podcast probably use a web browser every day. You can open that and start writing JavaScript right now. Um, that was something that was just unheard of 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So yeah, like my, my advice to you is, you know, the, quest, the first question is, you know, should I go into software development? And I think that only you can answer that question for yourself. I don't think I can tell you yes or no. 
But I can tell you that if you love it and you are excited by it, like maybe you've tried a little bit and you're like, this is really cool. You should probably seriously consider pursuing. If you've tried it a little bit and it seems like really foreign to you and really awful and it just doesn't excite you, the, the notion of building something out of writing code doesn't excite you, um, it might not be for you, but it might. And see, that's the thing, like I can't really tell you. Um, and so maybe after you, like you, were, you know, you were struggling a little bit, Riley, and you kind of worked through it, and then at some point you had this moment where you were like, this is the best thing ever, right? Yeah. But up to that point, it, it wasn't nearly as exciting for you, right? So maybe that moment for you know every listener that's listening to this right now, maybe that moment is right around the corner, maybe it's 10 years out, or maybe it will never come. And I think that's the hardest thing about this, is you just don't know if, if you're going to be into it or not. So um, I would say that you know, if, you're, if you're even on the fence, I would say try it, because the cost to try it is so low. There's Code Academy, there's Khan Academy, there's Code School, all these different ways to learn that just don't cost, they only cost your time. You know, so if you have that time, you should definitely try it. Um, and then figure it out. You know, if you don't, if you love it or not, um, you can try it. So I don't know, is that what you're looking for? I think so. I think that's pretty cool. I'm not looking, I'm not fishing. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> More or less. I'm not like lines. trying to reel anything in. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I, I just love hearing your, your insider knowledge and your insider experience, really, because that's um, one thing that I don't have as much, and so that's why we bring you guys on here, our wonderful guests. I really do appreciate you joining us. You guys should go out and check Dave Smith's podcast out, JavaScript Jabber. Yep which I actually said correctly for the first time. Good just job, now. good job. I didn't realize how much of a tongue twister that was going to be for me. Jabber. Jabber, 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 Jabber script. Jabber script. Jabber. Jabber. Java. Java. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're looking for something a lot more involved and a little bit more in depth, then JavaScript Jabber is great. And we actually uh, have referenced them several times oh, cool. in the past. Oh, that's cool. Rate, subscribe, comment. Uh, we love, love to hear from you. Let us know what sort of things you'd like to hear. And we'll see you next time.